What do you think the VO2 max levels should range from and to for an elite CrossFitter? I have no idea. <laughs> Honestly, I, I just, um, and purposely so, like I, I just have very little interest in um, like, why are we not talking about like contractile potential? Like that probably has more to do with our sport than otherwise, but no one's talking about that in like in weightlifting because it doesn't matter. It's like yeah. your VO2 max. Yes, it is a correlate to performance in endurance sports, but if it was the thing, they would just go like, hey, let's not run the Boston Marathon. Let's just line up and let's just figure out who has the highest VO2 max. We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stop. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. How you doing, Ben? Good. How you doing, Patrick? I'm very well. Today we are returning to our two-minute drill. Two-minute drill, for those folks who might not know, is when we uh, pick through all the many questions folks send us, send me on Instagram, um, with the challenge of getting them answered within two minutes. If you want to get on the list or if you want to get a question on the list, find me on Instagram at P.S. Cummings uh, and just send me a DM and I will add it to our list. We'll get into a future episode. Um, all these are certainly stuff we talk about all the time, but otherwise they're pretty randomized. Ready? Ready. Let's roll. First question. How do I work to stop constantly comparing myself to others? This is something I've struggled with even before CrossFit, and it feels like CrossFit has enhanced it because I'm constantly comparing my progress and performance to others. Yeah, uh, great question. This is probably outside the scope of it too. We could actually probably do a whole episode on this, so I'll try mm. and do the the highlight. Make a note of that. Yeah, this would be this would be a great. Um, but the highlight version of this is, um, um, it's essentially comes down to th- this feeling that we all have. You're not alone. So that's the first thing. It's like this is we all have this where we are all constantly comparing ourselves. We are. As humans, we are hierarchical beings. We're trying to figure out where we are in the pecking order from a sociological and a um, bioevolutionary standpoint. It's built into our DNA. So you are no different than anybody else. Um, some people struggle with more than others. And some people, it can come to the point where it's actually completely debilitating where they might remove themselves from certain social situations or um, academic or business or um, athletic pursuits because they can't get past the comparisons point. So the only, the biggest thing is you've already got there is this recognition of it. Once you become aware of it, you can start to pinpoint it and then start to understand that it is something that while it's built into you, it no longer serves you. And mm. the idea behind this is let go of judgments. And um, you actually, Patrick, just did a great Instagram post on this, um, which is try to, as much as you can, be aware and shrink your tendency to judge and try to increase um, your awareness and your um, interest in curiosity. So mm-hmm. you are here at the CrossFit gym to try to learn, to try to be better, to try and become a better version of yourself, healthier, fitter, stronger, faster, leaner, live longer, whatever it is. And all you're doing in this is exploring and learning. 
And it has nothing to do where somebody else is in their journey or what they do or how fast they do, Fran, or you both started together and now um, he or she can clean and jerk 50 more pounds than you. It really has no bearing at all whatsoever on the 360 degree holistic approach of what it is you're trying to achieve as a human being. It is only detrimental. It does not serve you. So as much as you can, continue to keep the awareness and melt the ego and lean into the everything else, the, the betterment mm-hmm. of you. Like the, um, And let's just kind of earmark this for a bigger discussion later. Love that. Next question. How would you recommend a trainer or coach who is only able to commit three to five classes per week, prioritize their learning approach to develop as high a level of proficiency as a trainer as they can? Cool. Um, simple. And it would be whether you're trying to be a better coach uh, a better musician, a better um, public speaker, uh, a better athlete, videotape. Like mm. videotape yourself doing it. Um, it's not, it has, it, the answer is not um, study more, research more, watch more YouTube videos. There is no, there is no substitute for experience. You have to actually do it. Now, with only doing it three to five hours a week, you're very, very, very limited. If we're trying to get to the 10,000 hours, it's going to take you a real long time if you're only doing that five hours a week. So Mm -hmm. what you can do is you can speed roll that by videotaping it and then watching the videotape over and over and over again on your own and videotape review like Kobe Bryant does. Like Mm. think about every single sentence, word, minute, section of the piece of the class and go, okay, could I have done this better? Why did I say it this way? Is there a better way to say this next time? Um, how did the people respond? Was the message sinking in? Is there, um, am I creating true connection? Am I creating true betterment? Could I be more efficient? Should I be speaking more? Should I be speaking less? And like always constantly the assessment, the audit, the review is um, is the magic. It's not watching. It's like reading, right? If you're just reading a book to read a book to get to the end of the book, if you're just watching the video to watch the video to get to the end of the video, you might as well not be doing it. Um, But if you are doing it to truly glean as much as you possibly can from every single piece of it as possible, that's where you can kind of um, accelerate your learning curve. Love that. Next question. We're moving today. You're doing a good job. I'm just talking really fast. (laughs) Uh, next question. What was the moment that made you guys change your trajectory in life from just living to thriving? And what steps led you to get out of that stage and into a completely new phase of life and passion? So he says you guys, the person, or the person that says you guys. So I'll let you, I'll let you, you take guys. the first stab at this. Uh, you guys. You know, use guys. I think my first answer is that I don't know that it's ever a moment, but if I had to pick a moment, there was when I went to um, undergrad college, I went to study journalism. Um, I did that for about half a semester and then fell in love with filmmaking and screenwriting. And at the school I was in, you could create your own major. It was called, if I get it right, bachelor's degree with individual concentration. Oh, that's, such a, better, that I could, that's such a fancy way of saying nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so what it meant was that I could take classes that we're in like the communications department and the media studies department, all these, like I get to, I get to pick and choose, kind of create my own. And so if that was the moment, it, it was because what I learned in that was that I really like doing things that 
everybody else isn't doing. I really like being on my own course, on my own road, figuring it out for myself. So much so that I don't know that I ever got back on the road of, oh, here's what we do. Here's how it's done. Here's the here's step one, step two, step six, and eight. And I think if there was a moment, it was that. It was just I got off of the road of the status quo. I got off of the road of what was expected of me or what I expected of myself. And then I just never let myself get back on that road. And so if there was a moment, it was probably that. All right. Um, can you reread the question? Sure. What was the moment that made you guys change your trajectory in life from just living to thriving? And what steps led you to get out of that stage and into a completely new phase mm -hmm. of life and okay. passion? All right. Um, change the trajectory from living to thriving. So I don't think that there is. Um, I think I've always been trying to thrive. I just think that my focus and the way I pointed that thriving has changed immensely and dramatically, maybe to the <laughs> tune of 180 degrees. Um, yeah. Before it was um, fun. Like I was... Mm. I wanted to live life. I, I drove cross country like five times. I was a ski bum twice. I taught sailing in the summers and I traveled and I didn't have a care in the world because I wanted to do exactly that. I wanted to live life, like thrive. But what's, there was something that changed the trajectory for sure. And that was 9-11 um, for me when 9-11 happened. And people that listen to the podcast probably remember, know the story at the time I was working in finance. And that was the time I was probably just kind of like, um, checking boxes. If there was ever a time in my life that, that actually, that, so I think I was thriving and doing what I want to do, living life on my terms, not the status quo, as you said. Um, and I fell into the trap. Mm -hmm. Um, and then nine 11 snapped me out of it again. Um, and after nine 11, that's when I became a trainer. Um, shortly after that, two years later than that found CrossFit. And that was probably those two moments were probably the ones that set the biggest trajectory for, for my life to where it is now. Yeah. That's interesting. You, you know, you said, you know, originally it was kind of like pursuing fun. Um, what's interesting to me is like, you're still having a whole lot of fun doing. What oh, you're I wouldn't now. trade where so I am in my life now. Yeah. For, so it's probably not, like, I wonder, is there another word that you were like, was it, was it something else uh, that you were actually pursuing? Cause yeah. again, cause it's not like you're not having fun now. I was chasing, um, the immediacy the earth mm. of the high, right? And no pun intended there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a family show, so I'm not going to ask a follow up. <laughs> Got it. Love it. Next question VO2 max is sports specific, but CrossFit has not been around long enough, or maybe it hasn't yet reached that professional level for there to be a VO2 max benchmark. What do you think the VO2 max levels should range from and to for an elite CrossFitter? I have no idea. <laughs> Honestly, I, I just, um, and purposely so, like I, I just have very little interest in um, like, why are we not talking about like contractile potential? Like that probably has mm -hmm. more to do with our sport than otherwise, but no one's talking about that in, like in weightlifting because it doesn't matter. It's like yeah. your VO2 max, yes, it is a correlate to performance in endurance sports, but if it was the thing, they would just go like, hey, let's not run the Boston Marathon. Let's just line up and let's just figure out who has the highest VO2 max. It's 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 a part of it. It just doesn't tell a big enough part of it. And to the to the um, listener's question, there's not enough research in our space to know what it should be anyway. So mm -hmm. we, we've had our athletes, a few of our athletes do VO2 max testing, but it's um, something that I really um, pay very little attention to. Got it. 
I'm recent. Uh, I'm a recently retired football player. He was an offensive lineman. And back in March, I was around 330 pounds. I've started my weight loss and healthy lifestyle journey and have dropped down to around 280 pounds. I'm working out twice a day, five oh, days a week. That's 50 pounds in yeah. 50 pounds in less than five months. Yeah, it's legit. Damn. Uh, I'm working out twice a day, five days a week with light training days in between as I continue to build my physique and continue to get fit. Should I, con- should I continue focusing on losing weight and improving my motor? And when do I get low enough? I assume the weight there, uh, low enough, then try and build, uh, maybe it should be, or when I, sorry, the question is a little confusing. And when I get low enough, then try, oh, there it is. Sorry, I can read, I promise. And when I get low enough, then try and build my strength back up, or should I steadily lose the weight and try and build the physique and maintain the muscle as I go? Um, okay, it's a good question. I would say it depends on your goals. So mm-hmm. if your goals are to re-enter the NFL, but this time as a slot receiver, um, I would say continue to lose the, whatever you're doing is working ridiculously well. Like, um, you know, we just had Greg McEwen on recently. I would just want, I just cautious you for the sustainability aspect of this, but I almost don't want to, because even if it's not sustainable, like you do this for another couple months, you're gonna be where you want to be regardless. So, mm-hmm. um, what you're, I would, my suggestion for this individual, not knowing a lot more other than what we know is just continue the path that you're on, whichever one that is that you're doing. Um, and then, um, work strength when you want to do that, when you get to the leanness that you want to be now, dot, 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 you can, and should continue to focus on some levels of strength because that will actually help speed up that process as well. You just going and running 11 miles a day every single day is not the fastest track to weight loss. You incorporating some strength training and some mixed modality, call it CrossFit workouts into that would actually help speed that up as well. Um, Other point to this is it depends on the strength levels that you had as an NFL lineman at 3.30. If you um, were super quick, super fast, and you had incredible hands, and that's why you were in the league, and you could only squat, you know, 385, 430, whatever it is in the 400 range, I would encourage you to keep the strength. If you are one of these guys that's back squatting 750 um, when you're in the league, like, no, just like drop the strength until you get to your leanness because you're going to maintain still elite levels of strength. um, Even if you drop down, you know, 20% off of those numbers, which you won't. I am a soon-to-be doctor and uh, will be starting my residency soon, where I will be often. Uh, well, I will often be home anywhere um, from. Sorry, where <laughs> really can't read today. Where I will often be working anywhere from sixty to eighty hours a week. Wow. In which case, I will likely work out at home with limited equipment or for shorter periods of time. What elements of programming should I pay particular attention to so as to get the most out of what little bit of exercise I can fit in each week? Okay, let's. Uh, he didn't ask it, but he said limited equipment. If you're thinking about what equipment you should have, get three pieces of equipment. Get a barbell, a pull-up bar, and a um, C2 bike. So we can have another podcast or another question about why those things, but those are the things you want to do. And then um, in terms of... Um, what you should do with your limited time, um, do movement specific warm ups. So, meaning if you're going to be doing, let's say, Fran as a workout, your warm up should be a whole bunch of very, very light thrusters, building in weight up to your 95. So, um, a couple air squats, 
a couple empty bar presses, a couple thrusters with the empty bar, then put 55 pounds on, a couple more thrusters. Put so you're using the actual movement motor pads and you're getting a your your tickers going, your heart rate, your movement specific warm-ups. You can get rid of general warm-ups, get rid of a lot of mobility stuff, save your time there. And then the um, the bang for your buck, the biggest um, thing that you'll get from your limited time is um, metcons, like high intensity interval training. So it is CrossFit. Um, CrossFit has the the biggest return on its investments across the board in terms of all levels of performance and health against any other training modality. Now, if your goals are to run a marathon, that would be different. If your goals are to enter a, a powerlifting competition, that would be a different response. But just in terms of I want general performance and I want general health, um, pull a bar, set of weights and a barbell, C2 bike, and um, Metcons using the movements you're going to do as your warm-up. So just do a bunch of specific uh, like warm-ups. So let's say you're going to do a workout that is uh, um, three rounds for time of um, 10 clean and jerks at 135, 95 for girls, um, 10 bar-facing burpees, and a uh, a 1,000-meter bike. Great workout. Um, you're just going to do a bunch of those little mini rounds. So you do like three clean and jerks at 65 pounds, three bar facing burpees, a hundred meter row, do that a few times and then kind of climb up, climb up, climb up, and then you're ready to rock and roll right into it. And you get the whole thing banged out in, you know, under in 15 to 20 minutes, yeah. including maybe just up. to state, maybe just to state the obvious, the warm up not only is a good warm up, but you're saying that that also allows you to compress time. Yes. Because you're, exactly. you're, you're literally moving your way into yeah, that. You're, you're so combining you the mobility and general warm up in. So there's, there's a whole bunch of different aspects to a to getting ready to work out. There's your general warm up. There's mobility. There's activation, and there's a specific warm up. Um, what you're going to do is condense those five parts into one. It's going to be all your spe- of those. The most important is your specific warm up. Um, it'd be really crazy to like let's do Fran. And you do a ton of stretching, and you do a ton of mobilizing. You do a ton of activation, but you have but you don't do a pull up or a thruster beforehand. Yeah. That's that's the most important part of those. You can get all you can get the activation, you can get the mobility, you can get the general warm-up with the specific warm-up, not the other way around. Love that. Okay. Next question that I will attempt to read without screwing it up. Hmm. I have members constantly ask how long before I see results in not only my fitness capabilities or skills, but in my general health as well. It's hard for them to understand that they've put their bodies through months, if not years of poor diet and lack of exercise, and that to reverse that process will also take months, if not years of consistent change. How do you approach this topic with your members? Two things. Um, measurable and observable results. So it can't be like, I feel better, I feel worse because people could be improving their um, fitness and health, but all of a sudden, um, you know, they they get a job that's a lot more work and they're, or, or they get demoted, or they, they, they get fired from their job and their unhappiness mm-hmm. level goes crazy and they feel crappy. So it's gotta be measured. So like if somebody wants to improve their, fitness like you got to like how many pull-ups can you do what's your mile time what's your fran time how much can you clean and jerk like how long to take you to do this benchmark workout and this benchmark workout and this benchmark workout so we got to have a data set you have to have that otherwise it's ambiguous it's just feel and feels never going to work so if i go like patrick how do you feel now versus you did in november mm, like yep like what <laughs> like that's yeah. an insane question and then the next part of that is 
concrete as well. So you go like, oh man, like, I don't know. It takes like, you've been doing this, you've been crappy lifestyle for months, maybe years. I don't know. And it's not a matter of days, months, weeks, years. It's a number of sessions. It's going to take 50, tell them, it's going to take 50 training sessions, just like anything else. Like how long before I get good at guitar? Well, it depends on how often you practice guitar. If you only come to the gym one day a week, it's going to take you years to get better or you might not at all because you might just be slowing down the decrepitude that's, you know, the grave that we're all creeping towards. But in order for us to actually say like I am um, improving and I am getting um, better, you have to you have to do it in terms of number of practice sessions. Just mm-hmm. like you would for, you know, how long before I get to do um, – um, whatever it might be, you know, hang glide. It's not like, well, Patrick, you're going to be hang gliding by yourself in three months. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> how often are you going to take lessons? Like if you don't take any lessons between now and three months, like I hope not. If you're going hang gliding th- to an intensive camp, I hope it doesn't take three months. Like, yeah. so it just, it depends on the frequency. So you need to know how, how the number, and to me, the number is 50. Mm, interesting. Um, it, it's it's 50. Like um, it could be certainly be less than that, particularly if someone is a, um, you know, there's hard gainers and there's easy gain. There's uh, depends on your genetics, depends on a, your background and your athletic past and the, all the rest, your athleticism. Um, but across the board, um, it's also not, it doesn't work if it's 50, if you do it once a year, it's not like 50 years. You'll, so I mean, there's the, the default of, I think people need to do it three times a week. And it takes um, a minimum of 50 sessions, which is like a few months. I love the specificity of that. Next question. The Navy SEALs became open to women in 2018. When do you think that there will uh, be the first female Navy SEAL? What do you think needs to happen? For, or what do you think needs to happen for that to happen? It already happened. Uh, Demi Moore in G.I. Jane was the first female Navy SEAL. Great, great point. Done. So I think it happened in the early 90s, maybe. It's a really good movie. Check it, it out. Um, I, I don't know. It's a really cool question. I, I I love the question actually. And this should be like one of our um, Hopper Talk ones because it's just purely mm. hypothetical. And um, so it's kind of like a fun, just kind of like um, my opinion type things. Um, honestly, I would, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. That's my honest answer is I think that you could take any number one of these CrossFit Games athletes, plop them in there. And I I do, I've never been through it. We I've trained two athletes that have been through buds and qualify and made it through. Um, so I have an understanding of what it takes. I've never done it myself, so I can't say for sure. But I believe um, that there's a there's a probably a handful of female games athletes that would that would make it right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. Interesting. Do you think that when it does happen, it will look, it will at least partly will be happen because the individual was training like a CrossFit Games athlete? Um, it, to a certain extent. Like is that, is that, yeah, like I mean, is that going to be extent, the like, part of the ingredients? Like when, when, when our athletes um, that I trained to do this, they, they trained like high level CrossFitters before they went there. But when they decided that this was going to be their route, they went a little more sports specific and did more, um, you know, more swimming, obviously, like uh, more underwater work, 
um, more overhead work because of the boat carry stuff that they have to do, a lot more rucking, um, sand runs, that type of stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that of all the programs in the world, CrossFit would be the best preparatory program, but you could get even more specific. Mm-hmm. Got it. Given all the hype around the social dilemma documentary, do you think um, do you think a small business, I'm thinking about a CrossFit gym, could survive without social media? One hundred percent, yes. See if any did for a long time. Like, like social media is, um, if if the totality of your business is a hundred percent, the success of your business is a hundred percent. The amount that social media for a CrossFit gym has on that. I would say is less, I'd be curious for your take on this, Patrick, but mine, it's somewhere below 1%. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's so small on the, on the spectrum of what you're doing. Yeah. I would say, I would say two things. One, I, I tend to agree with you. And again, I just said it also, I'll repeat myself. CFNE for a long time. Like I remember going there and you're like, yeah, we don't, we don't really do social media. I just, yeah, <laughs> right. Like you guys were fine for a long time. That's not So what problem. I would say is, um, what I would say, or one of the things I would say is, um, you know, when I'm working with somebody or, you know, on, on their brand and building it, like if you can't do social media, well, I would rather you not do it at all because doing social media poorly reflects much worse on you, on your brand than if you just didn't do it at all. Right. If you go there and there's like, is like a bad, like a fuzzy photo and no caption. And there's one yesterday and one three months ago, it feels like, oh, these people aren't like, are they even open? Right. That's ultimately what it kind of feels like is like, oh, are they, is, if I go there, is it going to be an empty building? Right. And so one, if you can't do it well, don't waste the time on doing it badly because there's something that you can spend that time on that, that will have uh, a noticeable impact on the business. If a uh, gym, you know, there's lots of things and you okay. can certainly speak better, um, better to it than I can. And then I think the other thing is just on a, you know, cause the question was about small business. I think social media has tricked us into believing that social media is the solution for every kind of business mm. when it's not. It's social media is really good for a business like Comtrain where it's scalable, where it doesn't cost that much more to get one more athlete on there that it did get the last 10 athletes. So social media is really good if you've got scale or if you've got technology um or if you are um trying to play the the um the 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 audience game where I can, if I can accumulate enough attention, I can then leverage that attention for advertising dollars, for opportunities, for fill in the blank. But for a gym, but a bakery, a restaurant, you know this, like 99% of the people walking in there are because somebody they know and trust said, hey, you really got to, you got, you got to go to CFNE. I promise you, it's not what you think it is. Go check it out. I promise you, I'll be there with you. Right. And so to answer, I'm I'm right there with you. Like, no. If and if if you're wasting time on it and it's not working, that's one of those sunk cost things. Like just stop doing it and say, what can I replace this time with? Yeah. And actually what I would replace the time with is your website. Your website yeah. is massively oh, I don't know if a small business could succeed without a without a website now. I re, I, I truly don't. Either. Because if you're going to think about any of the ones that you just named, like a restaurant or you're gonna go buy a widget or you're gonna go to um the movies. You don't go to their social media handle. No one goes like, no. um, you want to go to a movie at, you know, at the AMC theater? Like, sure, let's pull up the Instagram handle. It's like yeah. you go to the website. Like, it's the same thing. Like, um, I wonder what time um, um, if Chipotle is still open. Like, you don't go to their Instagram. You go to their website. 
Like, yeah. um, I think you businesses would have a very hard time succeeding, not very a harder time succeeding without a website um, and without a. That's a place to without invest some some of the marketing resources. Much much more important than your yeah. social media. I agree. The thing I always say for especially for CrossFit gyms is that no matter what, even if like even if like I'm buddies with Ben and Ben's like you should go check out this gym. Before I walk in there, I'm going to their website. Mm-hmm. And what I see there is going to heavily influence whether or not I listen to Ben or not, right? If, it, you know, the photos, the copy, the, everything there is going to influence me as much as as my friend's opinion did. And so respect that and make sure that you are investing in that because that is no matter what they're stopping there and they're going to see, we talked about it before, like, do I belong there? And how I know that is, well, what's on the website? And then maybe what's on the Instagram account. Very cool. Next question. What do you think about taking an ice shower I'm going to ask you about that. An ice shower before a workout to wake up the CNS. What do you think about a really hot shower like a sauna before sleep? And I don't know what an ice shower is. There's an ice bath and a cold shower. So I don't know if that's just I mixing think they the mean cold. I'm going to say it's a cold shower. Okay. That's kind yeah. of what I read too. That's uh, ice shower would be so, terrible. It's like, it's like, like pelting <laughs> ice, ice cubes at you. That would be. <laughs> it's crushed that, ice though. It comes out. <laughs> oh, it's like a slushy machine. Like basically <laughs> yeah. you're just like underneath like a slush puppy. Like you're going to 7-Eleven. You're just kind of like, no reason the juice. Anybody that has that red nose, what that reference is, please DM Patrick. No wheezing in the juice. I will. Oh man, I don't know. I'll send a pair of nobles to you or something like that. That's amazing. Do you know what that's I'll from? Let you know when. No, I have no idea. Yeah. All right, don't say a terrible say '80s movie. Actually, does. Okay, we'll see how many nobles you have to send. You have to send out now. I'm going to backtrack on that immediately. I'm not sending <laughs> nobles to because there's going to be a whole bunch of like I just. There's going to be a whole bunch of like weird, like 40 year old guys like me that just know that. <laughs> All right. Nobody gets snowballs. What do you think of this? Cold shower in the morning, hot shower at night. You didn't really say for any point. Okay. Um, yeah. But, so it's a wake up CNS for the cold shower. Like um, potentially um, only if like <laughs> um, you have a hard time, like it's super early. You have a hard time waking up. This is a way that you could like wake yourself up. If you're like hungover, it might be a way to like, kind of like shake that out as a regular practice, as a performance enhancer for like somebody that's at normal homeostasis before the cold shower. No, like the worst thing you could do is get cold. That's the opposite mm-hmm. of a warm up. Like you want to warm up, not, and to shock the nervous system. Um, nope. Like that's not what we're trying to do there either. Um, um, I get it. Like, that's what, like, what about like smelling salts and stuff like that? Like people do it to like, um, you know, pre-workout and all the rest. It's like, yeah, that's not going to it's not going to outweigh like the, when things get cold, things slow down. Like cold muscles are bad muscles. You would never put a rubber band in the freezer for a little bit of time, hoping that then you can then stretch it better. Like you're going to do when you work out. So the answer to that one is um, normally no certain circumstances. I get it sort of prop, maybe Um, hot shower before bed. Yep. That's a good one. Yep. That's a, uh, um, Matthew Walker talks about that in his book, um, Why We Sleep. It is a, um, from just like the normal, creating normal wind down routines to the actual physiological responses that happen in the body when your body gets hot before you go to bed and it like super cools itself. That cooling uh, mechanism actually helps tell your body it's time to go to sleep. Like there is science that says that that's a good practice. Yeah. For me, just like, you know, just thinking about not necessarily waking up the CNS, but just waking up, like just getting out of that groggy wake up. For me, the thing that works better than anything is like five minutes of air squats and a cold shower. And from there, it's like good to go. Whatever, whatever the, whatever the sleep is gone from there. Yeah. 
If it's a thing to wake you up, yeah, it would definitely wake you up. Yep. If it's a thing to do to improve your workout that you're about to do, yeah, no. Yep. All right, next one. My strength and stamina is great in most CrossFit workouts, but running, especially running at a faster pace, continues to be a struggle for me lately. I've just been doing a bike or row modification, which I know isn't the right answer, but after running a half marathon with little to no improvement in my overall speed, I'm at a loss for how to get the gains in speed that I need. If I do a calorie bike modification, I'm matching those running seven minute miles without breaking a sweat or really increasing my breathing. So I don't think the problem is really cardio. Do you have any thoughts or suggestions? Yeah, you're, you need the, you need the specificity. Um, mm -hmm. So the person gave this listener gave enough information. Um, if you hadn't said I've run a half marathon and my speed didn't increase, I probably would have um, pushed you towards just more running. Um, mm. but the fact that you gave that is super helpful. Um, I've worked with a plenty of athletes that are like this, myself included. Um, you've gotten really good at going really slow. You've trained yourself to be slow. Um, that's what's happened when you did all that endurance training. It's re it's going to sound, um, obvious and I don't mean it to be that way. Um, but or maybe it's going to sound, I, I hope it doesn't come across as condescending, but the, if you want to run fast, you need to... <laughs> run fast. Like on, that's what you need to do. You, um, it's a, um, a different motor pattern and you biking is not gonna help you run fast. Um, you know, Lance Armstrong isn't, you know, that I'm just using as a reference. I know he's a dope. I just don't know another biker, <laughs> um, is not going to jump in and, you know, win the four, you know, compete at any level at all, anywhere in the world at, at even at a high school level in the 400 meter run. Like it's just not going to happen. And it's because it's a different, completely different motor pattern. Um, um, so what you need to do is run fast. And running fast means um, anything from super fast is like um, 10 meters to 60 meters. Um, you could also do longer things. That's like top end stuff that might not transfer over to what you're looking for in a workout. Um, but for workouts, I would be putting a lot of effort into um, – 200s to 400s and just at minimum once a week hit um four to six depending if you're doing where you're doing this but if you want to do it like four to six 200s or um and this is minimum our normal athletes do like six to eight 200s and then like uh um three to five 400s um and again our our normal athletes do more like you know four to six of those Two more questions. Last, uh, next one. My boyfriend and I have, uh, I have collegiate track and field backgrounds. He was a distance runner and I was a pole vaulter. He has always supported my fitness journey, but he is skeptical about CrossFit. His reasoning is that CrossFit promotes, quote, flawed movements, i.e. kipping pull-ups rather than strict pull-ups. What would be your response to a person who, um, with this stigma uh, against certain CrossFit movements that lead them to dismiss the legitimacy of the entire sport? Okay. Um... Great question. So I will give the um, exercise sciencey answer. I'll try and do it under two minutes, and then I'll give the um, the Ben Bergeron um, easy answer. Um, the exercise science one is what we are trying to do is to increase fitness. Um, in order to increase fitness, we need to do functional movements. Functional movements have a lot of definitions to them. Most notably that they are essential 
You need to do them. If you lose the capacity to do them, you lose capacity to live your everyday life. If you cannot squat, you can't get off the toilet, you need to go to the nursing home. If you can't put something above your head or get off the ground, you lose capacity to live your normal life. They're essential. They're also natural. Just like a dog wags its tail and a bird flaps its wings, humans sit, squat, jump, run, pull, throw, all that. But the number one characteristic, the one number one defining characteristic of a functional movement is that it moves large loads, large distances quickly. So if we take those three defining characteristics, large loads, large distance quickly, and we compare different movements. So let's take a bicep curl, dumbbell in one hand doing a bicep curl. And let's put that up against the normal strict pull-up. And we can def- now we can, we can actually have a educated discussion about which of the two movements from a numerical, you put numbers to this, not hypothetical, you measure it. We're going to measure it. Which one of these is more functional? So what we're really looking for is large loads, large distance quickly, which is if you take load times distance divided by time quickly, you get average horsepower, which is intensity, which is power. So what we're trying to do is really the more functional a movement is, the more ability it has to express power. So now what we do is we take those two movements and we take the dumbbell and we put in the metrics. A one-arm dumbbell, strong guys are going to do that with like probably 35 or 40 pounds. So let's call it 40 pounds, 40 pounds. Um, and they're going to curl it. And when they curl it, what that's the load, 80 pounds, uh, 40 pounds. The distance, what is the distance we're going to travel? And the distance is from the middle of your thigh to the top of your shoulder, which might be two feet. And then how quickly are we going to do that? Well, if you ascribe to the normal bodybuilding methodology, it should be done slowly. So you're increasing time under tension. Tempo lifts with slow negatives create greater, elicit greater hypertrophic gains. So we want to do it as slow as we can. Okay, so 40 pounds, that's light load. Mm-hmm. Two feet, okay, that's pretty, that's pretty decent. And slow. So that doesn't measure up very well. So if we were to take that 40 pounds times... Uh, let's do 10 reps, sets of 10. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna do 40 pounds times 20 times two feet divided by however long it's gonna take you to do those 10 reps. Most people are gonna do that. Let's do the two second negative, one second eccentric. That's 30 seconds. Cool. Okay, now we got that. And you actually do the math. And if I had a calculator in front of me, we could actually do the math and figure out what kind of power that movement elicits. Okay, now let's do the same thing for a sh- strict pull up. And what we'll find is now you're lifting your body weight, which is you know, minus your forearms. I get that you're not lifting your forearms. Let's call it 150 pounds. Well, that's still almost 4X of what you were lifting with the dumbbell curl, four times. Mm-hmm. Now I get that you're using both arms. Cool. Maybe it's more functional. I don't know. Let's, but mm-hmm. let's, but we're lifting it now. We're, we're now lifting 150 pounds-ish. We're still moving about the two feet, the length of your arms. So fully extended arm to um, uh, fist underneath your chin. Except now our 10 reps are probably going to take longer than those 30 seconds. Maybe it's about the same. Maybe you're good at these and it takes you 30 seconds. So we'll call it the same, right? So what we've said here is a strict pull-up because it's a larger load, same distance, same time, is more functional than a bicep curl. Makes sense. It's a compound movement versus an isolated movement. 
you're using a lot more muscles than you are just the one bicep, the single joint movement. That makes sense. Compound, more functional. Life demands multiple joints. You don't work in body parts when you go out and try to work on the job site, on the athletic field, or help your friend move a couch. Okay, now let's take the regular pull-up versus a kipping pull-up. So everything, it, the load is the same, the distance is the same, but what are you able to do when you do a kipping pull-up? You're able to do them faster, which produces more power, which means it's more functional. So a kipping pull-up set of 10 only takes somebody that can do it well about 12 seconds. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other one, so because you can produce more power, it's different of a deadlift and a power clean. A deadlift at the same weight. A deadlift, a power clean travels farther and moves faster. So it's going to be more functional. It also goes across more joints, more joints, more power. So it's the ability to express power is equals functionality equals the way we should be training for life. So it's not flawed movement patterns. It's the exact opposite. It's more functional movement patterns. Now, if you want to talk about risk of injuries and all that stuff, I'm totally cool. That's a separate discussion because yes, you are using more multimodalities because what happens is, let's talk the difference between walking and running. What are you going to get more fitness from? Walking or running. Everyone's going to, there's no argument. You will get fitter running a mile than you will walking a mile, particularly if you run what? Faster. That's because you're producing more power. Now, does the likelihood of you getting injured go up when you try to run really fast versus walk? Yup. Like, I'm not going to debate that whatsoever. It's a risk-reward type thing. And you got to figure out where you sit in that ballgame. I believe that the long-term benefits of being fit outweigh the short-term effects of potential orthopedic issues. Mm-hmm. Now, what's the Ben Bergeron answer? Um, I want you to, I want you to go run. So here's the difference between a strict pull-up and the real difference between a strict pull-up and a kipping pull-up is that you're using your hips. Mm-hmm. That's the only that's the only difference is that your mm-hmm. hips now help you get elevate create um, vertical displacement, whereas the other one it's just the upper body. So what we're doing is we're taking just an upper body movement and using turning into a total body movement. Your knees flex and extend, your hips flex and extend, and then yes, all the normal upper body stuff does. Okay, let's do this the exact same thing, but upside down. I want you to go running, but only use your lower body. Mm-hmm. You have to keep your hands in your pockets. That's the equivalent of just using the lower body and not turning running into a total body movement. The reason you use your upper body and now flex and extend at the shoulder when you run is because it is more functional. It allows you to produce greater power in that effort. But no one goes like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why the heck are we using our arms when we're running? That's flawed. That's a flawed movement pattern. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Last question we've got. You've previously mentioned that CrossFit could gain popularity similar to what the UFC slash MMA has achieved in recent years. Do you think that moving the games outside of America to, say, Europe would help market and expand the brand? Yes, but I don't think that's the deciding factor. Mm. Um, It potentially could, but I just don't think it's... Um, like if we do that, wow, we're doubling in the next two years. <laughs> I think there's so many, I think it's, 
it may or may not. And I think there's so many other things that they could do to double in the next couple of years that are not related to where the games are held. I think that where the games are held has um, very little impact because it's not the people that are going to it. It's the people that are watching it. Right. On TV. What I mean by that is like the, 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 the stream, the, what's the, the best way to say that? The media. Yep. The, the, yeah. The, yeah. People watching it that aren't on site. Cool. Thank you, Ben. That was fun, as always. Thank you, everybody uh, out there who sends us questions. Again, you can find me on Instagram at P.S. Cummings. Drop me a DM. I will add it to our long list. We'll get to it in a future two-minute drill episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. Ben and I will be back next week for another episode of Chasing Excellence. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening.